Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello Rush Nation and welcome to the Five Yard Rush DFS podcast. I'm Mark Ferguson, we're back after a five-month hiatus. Well, I say we, but Nick Owen isn't here today as he's selfishly enjoying his birthday. But do not worry, Nick of Wigan fans, he will be back next week. This is the first in a series of pods talking to primarily the UK's best DFS players about their stories and what makes them successful in DFS. We'll be recording as many of these as we can before the NFL season begins, and I think they'll be wonderfully educational, hopefully entertaining, no matter what level of DFS you play. So we're setting the bar really high with the first one because we're starting with one of the greatest who's ever played DFS. He's a name that the pros avoid in the lobby, and it may actually surprise you to know he is English. His name is Saramek on DraftKings, but today we're going to call him Will, as that's his name. Welcome, Will, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mark, and uh, happy to be here, and thanks for the very generous and uh, flattering introduction. <laughs> well, I couldn't introduce you as an expert, and it wouldn't be flattering, could I? So it's like, you know, here's Will, he's okay at DFS, you know. It's like... I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, just some dry humour. He's all right. Yeah, he's just wheeled, like... wheeled someone out for this. <laughs> I've always, I always think when... When people say, because for example, your your name always comes up on um, the um, Jordan Cooper podcast as a player to avoid, etc. And because you're so good at um, uh, soccer, as you'd call it. Um, but I always think about one time in a WhatsApp group for the Ashes, you posted that about a golf showdown. You said there's no point really worrying too much about who you pick or the skill involved. There's no skill involved. Just pick six players, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I followed that strategy, I probably would have had a better golf week this week than I have. So maybe I should listen yeah. to my own advice. Yeah. And, and when you consider, I, I actually love that because when you see all the content out there, people say, look how good we are and look how good I am at picking this. And 
you who's so that was so wonderfully modest just like yeah pick anybody you want it won't make a difference <laughs> that's yes. the joys of golf isn't it so um especially showdown yeah <laughs> so um, how long have you been playing dfs oh yeah i guess i should have thought about that before this call. <laughs> i think um i guess it must be about six or seven years now something like okay. that yeah and you were um you're a professional blackjack player before that yeah so before dfs i was living in vegas and I was playing blackjack and other casino games full time. And I've been doing that for about three years and I was really enjoying it and it was going really well. But I think a couple of things. So it was first, it was getting quite repetitive. Um, the, the, the techniques that we were using, it was more or less go into the casino and repeat. And also because of that very formulaic approach, the casino was starting to catch on to what we were doing my face was getting a bit more recognized. So the longevity of what I was doing there was, was starting to wear out. And coupled with that, my visa status was always pretty dicey there. Every time I flew into the US, because I was spending so much time there and I was under the visa waiver program, I'd very often get back rooms. I'd very often be made to feel like I was going to be sent home uh, and never actually able to go in. So the longevity from that sense was wearing pretty thin as well. And I knew, I knew at that point, or I knew early on actually in my blackjack career that this wasn't going to be forever. And if I looked at some of my, I guess, idols in the blackjack industry, the people like Bill Benter, uh, Jelko, um, Ed Thorpe, you know, guys that started off as blackjack players, they'd all, they'd all gone on to do other things. They didn't hang around like counting cards for too long. And so I was always ready to make that transition at some point. And I felt like I wanted it to be into sports, but I didn't know where, I didn't know how, like what was going to be that first project that I was going to take on that was going to transition me from blackjack into sports betting. Um, that stuff with the visas and everything still sounds a lot less stressful than DFS to me, but there you go. <laughs> Especially with the levels you're probably playing at. Um, well, yeah, so- I think I think in, in professional gambling, I mean, it's a, it's a good point, Mark. Like managing stress is one of the requirements of the job you know and the, the better you are at managing stress the more money you're likely to make in my opinion so yeah, yeah dfs is certainly not stress-free and i think any professional dfs player has to do what they can to manage the stress levels manage the sweat otherwise they're just going to have no energy for the job itself and i think it's quite universal the stress of it because obviously as people play at all sorts of different levels and what to you would be negligible to somebody else would be just too much to lose without it tilting them mm. too much and affecting their life outside of DFS. And I think... Yeah, uh, but I, I would say what what to me is negligible now definitely wasn't negligible six years ago, right? And you right. just, you gradually scale up and you gradually build this kind of tolerance and immunity to the stakes. And there are stakes now that make me sweat and, and make me stress that I would hope in five years' time I consider negligible again, right? <laughs> and I just hope, yeah, it, it's just part of the process of developing and increasing your stakes and getting more comfortable with your stakes mm. and just getting better, really. Yeah, and I think it's the, that's the, the universal truth about gambling generally anyway, is like if it's starting to affect your life outside of the actual gambling itself, then you've gone too far or, you, or the stakes okay. are too high for you and stuff. Um, we will actually... Talk about back management, I think, a little bit later. Sure, um, yeah. So 
I know you did you did an interview previously with Spanky, yes. That was yeah. right, was it? About and that was and if anybody wants to know more, I, I really recommend listening to that pod because as much as anything for this ridiculous, I'm not going to give it away, this ridiculous airport story that you told on there, which is mm. like, which to somebody who isn't in your profession is quite staggering and stuff, okay? So um, I do recommend yeah. it, listening to it. And, it's funny, um, everyone that listens to that podcast, that's the first thing <laughs> they bring up, right? It's almost like everything else I said apart yeah. from that. It's kind of irrelevant. Oh, no, yeah. no, I, I remember the rest of it. It's just that story. And I, you know, I messaged you about it as well, didn't I, afterwards? It's mm. like, look, how could... How can that be a real story and stuff? So anyway, that's a great mm. teaser for that pod now. That's it is. Probably, you know, yeah. That's a great teaser for it. Um, but I know you said, Matt, that one of the reasons you went into DFS at the time was you could see an edge, I think, in football. Mm. And um, Why did yeah. I see an edge? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that came a little bit from my experience of playing casinos and seeing what the average competition was. I mean, it's going to sound a bit snobby i don't know but i knew that the average gambler wasn't playing the game with the same level of attention the same level of preparation that i was prepared to play it with i mean you see it in poker as well right and so as long as there's an opportunity to demonstrate skill in a game which i felt like when i looked at dfs football there was right here was this scoring system here were these metrics by which you got points and the more points you got the more money you were going to make as long as an opportunity to sort of be better than someone else, I backed myself to be better than someone else. And the rake back then wasn't too high. In fact, it was sometimes even zero or negative because they were just pumping these GPPs full of marketing spend that was ensuring that they overlay. So even if I was average, I was possibly still going to make money, but I thought I could do better than average. And I thought, yeah, you just had to start somewhere really and start trying to project all these metrics that DraftKings Soccer were or like, you know, that the point system was based on, just start trying to project them. Yeah. And when you first started with that, did you were you successful? When I started, and I also I I one thing I learned from my time in Vegas is that I didn't I didn't operate as well when I was working by myself. So I was looking for a business partner. Mm-hmm. When I decided I was going to move back to the UK and have a go at this DFS thing, I was looking for a DFS partner or a business partner to do that with. And so I reached out to a guy that I used to work with and, you know, had a few discussions and he was keen ultimately. And early on, we, yeah, we found it easier than we expected. Wow. And I think that was partly because of the scoring system at the time wasn't very favorable to the casual football fan. The way that DraftKings were rewarding points were to players that you wouldn't typically expect to be good at football, but were good at DraftKings. And also, like I said before, the overlay. I mean, DraftKings were willing to throw money at anyone that was willing to play with them, pretty much. So... It, it made it much easier at the start mm-hmm. and of course that doesn't exist anymore that but i think the am i right in thinking that it had a bit of a boom period then in terms um the soccer in terms of the sort of prizes on offer comparison to now um, have they gone down a bit the price the, no i think the prices are the gpp prices now for soccer i think they're as high as they've ever been oh, okay, i think the, i think because of covid there was this time where football was the only thing that was being offered during COVID. Mm. It was the only sport that was going on. 
And suddenly DraftKings had like $200,000 GPPs or something for some Turkish classic <laughs> slate. And it was just crazy. And I think though the ben- there has been some long-term benefit from that for the soccer DFS community because people, because they had no choice but to play it during COVID, they kind of learned to play it and, and started to enjoy it. And then even when other American sports started coming back, some of those those new soccer DFS players stayed on. So I don't know. I, I think the prize pools now are as big as they've ever been, but they're certainly not as willing to have overlay as they were before. And yeah. the, the standard of competition, the casual player is a lot better than they were before. And also the point scoring system has changed since when we started playing five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. And that's now much more in tune with rewarding players that you typically expect to be good at football, right? Rather yeah. than, I remember when we started playing DraftKings soccer, Kieran Trippier was playing right back for Burnley and he would he would put in about 18 crosses per game and crosses were like one point at that time and one point was also a much bigger amount relative to other point metrics at that time whereas now you get like 10 for goals I think back then it was sick I can't remember but you basically Kieran Trippier was considered the best player in on DraftKings scoring metrics it it just doesn't really make sense the casual fan well if he comes to United in the summer he might be the best player again yeah (laughs) so maybe maybe DraftKings just had incredible foresight right they just they they had an idea of who was going to go on to be good players but no a couple of years later, I think they changed their scoring system and it then became, it became less of a, there was less opportunity for the data-driven people such as myself and my business partner to, yeah, generate um, an edge over the competition, I guess, because yeah. it was more down to, it was, it was now more weighted towards more random metrics like goals and assists. I see. More, so, volatile metrics is maybe yeah. a way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So, had you, is that something you'd identified beforehand that players like, like the crosses were overweighted in, this, in terms of, or did you just it, learn it as you went along? I think we had an idea that, that, yeah, crosses were overweighted, but we tried to take our opinion out of it as well. We just tried to use, get as much data as we could and then use some statistical techniques to then predict these metrics. And then just add up all those prediction predictions yeah. to get to total points. So and, yeah, yeah. So is that model that model? I presume has evolved over the last six years. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, um, a lot. Yeah, and you um. So um, am I right in remembering that you actually said you learned coding or something just to do this? Yeah. So neither my business partner Dan nor I knew how to code when we started out, and so we just started out using Excel. Okay. Right, which I think is what most kind of um, more like attentive DFS players do. Right, they, they, the first thing they do is turn to Excel. But it became apparent that if we were going to be able to use all this data properly, and we weren't going to spend hours every week or every day trying to move data around in Excel, we were going to have to learn to code. Okay, so and what so, did you learn? Uh, I learned R. Oh, even was, then. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So I learned R. Um, and Dan, my business partner, he learned a bit of R, but more focused on database stuff and like SQL mm. or okay. or VBA. And yeah, and I was just 
you know, I look at some of the code that I wrote five or six years ago, it's obviously terrible, right? I mean, just awful. Like, what was I thinking? But you comment, got, did you comment it then as well? I don't know, actually. I can't remember. Okay, I, okay. I usually don't comment it because it's only for my benefit. I'm only writing the code for myself, right? No one okay. else has to look at it. But um, do you ever think where you come back to a bit of code and think, why did I put that? Yeah, all the time. Do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all the time. Even when I comment it, I still go back and like, why did I comment that? Yeah. <laughs> Because I just copied the comment from somewhere else as well, and it makes absolutely no sense in this situation. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's just a general um, issue I struggle with with my code writing anyway. It's not very tidy, and I don't label and comment everything very well either. So I thought, I thought it'd be R because, you know, you, you post on Twitter every week for the golf, the sharps versus squares right. on the things and stuff, and that looked like a standard um, R graph. Yeah, that's in R. Yeah, in R. GG start. plot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like so. Um, so I started trying to learn some R, um, okay. but I, but I'm, a, you know, it takes time, and um, yeah, and I, I just find I can do things in Excel quicker. I mean, I, I, I can write a whole optimizer in Excel to do pretty much everything an optimizer does, nice. except, except I can't do minimum exposures. That's the one thing I cannot do is minimum exposures. Excel, yeah, so, I don't uh, think I could do that in R either. Um, Other than like a brute force way where you just like throw away lineups that yeah, yeah. Until you get to a you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, there you go. DFS encoding is like, you know, such a varied pod. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I didn't think we were talking about coding, and I'm not sure people really want to hear about oh, yeah, it. Exactly. Sorry. Um well I'm, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are happy to hear anything from um, top players like yourself, to be honest. Um, okay. So actually, talking about that, so you've briefly touched upon this. Um, in your sort of an average day, how long do you actually spend on actually working on projections and stuff and lineups and stuff? Um, well, actually working on projections. I mean, I try to spend as little time as possible working on stuff that I feel can be automated, right? So I'd much rather just be spending my time on making things automated rather than running the same processes every week and just, yeah, feeling like I'm doing the same work and not really learning anything each week. In terms of how much time do I spend sorting out the projections each week, it's probably less than one hour right now. I mean, everything, you know, everything that we... So everything's in our database, in a SQL database pretty much, and so we take it out of there and then we have to run code that goes through all that data and spits out projections in each of the metrics and that all then gets compiled together into a final total points metric for each player and it should be pretty much automated i mean it takes a few hours to run but it it should just be a couple of clicks to get it there and um, uh, so, sorry. yeah oh, so i was just going to say the time the, the time that i'm spending on when i'm doing my job when i'm working on dfs it's really on perhaps trying to automate more parts of our process, but mostly it's actually just trying to develop better projections, right? Coming up with better models, better better uses of the data that we have so that we come up with better projections for the players that we care about. But the actual preparation work to get things ready for each slate, for each Saturday or Champions League slate, whatever it is, we've worked really hard to make sure that's a really small amount of our time. So you, do you believe that your projections are what give you your edge? Yes. I ha I've spent, relative to 
the, the ratio between time spent on projections versus game theory stuff is like mm. 97 to three. I mean, it's like 97% <laughs> of our time and I reckon our edge comes from our projections. There's a few stuff in optimizer to try to make sure that we're not on, especially in golf, because it's hard to find edges in golf through projections, you know, trying to make sure that we're on more low owned players. But relatively speaking, it's the thing that's made us our money, I think, in the last five or six years has just been having better projections. Okay. So um, do you, is it a case of you don't particularly believe in the game theory side of it? Because in DFS, it, I don't, I don't, these aren't two ex, mutually exclusive areas, but I do feel like people kind of fall into the projections or the game theory mm. style of it. And I think for some like myself, and I consider myself, I don't, I think I'm a pretty average per player. I suspect more players are dealing with my size of bankroll than probably your size of bankroll, generally speaking. But I couldn't compete against you with your projections. I just couldn't do that because you've got six years worth of history mm. and your coding and your database of data. Um, but one thing you can not necessarily compete with, but you can be closer with, I think, is game theory side of it. Mm. Um, because I think you need less factors into there's, there's less there's less barriers to entry to the game theory side of it, right? Yeah. Like if if you you know if you're trying to go from zero to profitable in two weeks, you're not going to do that by learning to code and getting hold of all the data and building all the code to then analyze that data and come up with projections. You're just not going to be able to get that done in two weeks. You might not even be able to get it done in two years, right? I mean, should be able to get it done in two years. We might not. Game theory, if you have a reasonable grasp of it, you probably can get from zero to profitable within two weeks if you read a lot of books and you know listen to podcasts and try to f- do your research each week to determine who's going to be overowned and who might be a sleeper pick. Yeah, you probably can. But if I was going to do this all over again, I, I still wouldn't go. I would try to think long-term about it and go with projections. I worry that game theory... You can, you can maybe kid yourself a little bit that you got unlucky or that, um, you know, you're onto something when maybe you're not. And projections, it's kind of hard to hide behind bad projections, right? You, you know, if if you're losing money in cash games and you're um, you're all about projections, then it's hard to kid yourself that you're getting unlucky. And I, I worry that there's a lot of people out there in the DFS community that are kind of kidding themselves that they're really good because they're um, because they're good at game theory or something. Yeah. But maybe they just had one big GPP win, or you know they haven't won anything, and then they keep they keep tweaking their game theory ideas until they hit one. But then it's just sort of confirmation bias, and it's not really real, right? But I, I, you know, it's not to say you can't make money at DFS with good game theory. I think it's just not the approach I would take. And I think you need to be really careful if you're going down that route as well. Yeah, I think statistically as well, it's hard to know when you're good at game th- with the game theory because from a statistical yeah. point of view, you're not going to play enough slates to know exactly. if you're good. Because yeah. if you're doing game theory, you're really just going after GPPs, right? Yes. Yeah. And the GPP payouts, especially the bigger GPPs, are so heavily skewed to the top one, two, three payouts that, like you said, you, you're not going to be able to pay, play enough slates before you can ever reliably determine if you actually have an edge or not. 
Um, and, and even if you do play 200 slates and you're profitable, well, the game theory might have changed by that point. Sorry about my dog. I don't know if you can hear him barking. <laughs> yeah. Tesco, Tesco is here right now. So he's uh, doing his job and trying to scare the guy away. Really it's all right. It, I listen to enough podcasts, DFS podcasts, know that it's not a, official unless there's a dog barking some point in the right. background and stuff. So yeah. Like... yeah, he'll 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 calm down in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he obviously feels strongly about the game theory stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether that's a bark of agreement yeah. or, or an objection. Um, yeah, so it's um, it's interesting. I think um, I think what's good about what's no good. What's attractive about the idea of game theory is a little bit like gives a more casual player a possible way to to not say to win, but but kind of a a direction to go. You know mm. what I mean? Because in terms of projections, you kind of like you said, you can do your own or you can buy them, you know, and if you buy them, you're buying the same projections as goodness how many other thousands of people. Mm. So you're all coming back to the same lineups and stuff. Um, and I think people use projections wrong as well. Um, they don't understand necessarily what they really are. Mm. And I think actually the real value in all those projections isn't probably so much the projections, it's more the ownership figures, which aren't going to be 100% correct, but they give you an idea, don't they? And then yeah. like you've sort of said about in like, especially something like golf and stuff, you want to be on the lower owned players when they go off. That's mm. true about all DFS, isn't it? Generally, you want to be on the lower owned player when they go off. Um, yeah, I think it's especially true in golf though, because the the golf, um, so why, why is golf a harder DFS game than, than soccer? Well, in my opinion, it's mainly that golf, the DraftKings point system for golf correlates strongly with the bet the betting market odds, right? Like, and which also correlates strongly with how good of a golfer people, someone is. So as long as DraftKings have kind of got their pricing sensible, which it does seem to be based mainly on the, there goes the dog again, does seem to be based mainly on the betting markets, then people who just pick six players in golf, kind of like I was saying to you about showdown earlier, you know, just pick six players. If you just pick six players in golf, you can't go that wrong as long as you satisfy your salary, right? As long as you use up all mm. of your salary. Whereas in in soccer, it's not obvious who to pick. It's not as obvious who to pick. And even if you do use up all your salary, you can still have a really bad team. You know, someone's playing mm. out of position, things like that. So I now can't remember what your original question was, but <laughs> partly because the dog was barking, but the golf... <laughs> With golf, <laughs> game theory becomes more important because the it just you everyone's on the same players because they can see who's undervalued or overvalued relative to the betting market, comparing the betting market to DraftKings salary, and then projections become a lot less valuable at that point because everyone's basically doing a sensible projection in their head, and so you're left once the projection aspect of it becomes harder to get an edge at then you need to look more at game theory and golf in my opinion whereas in soccer kind of game theory isn't you know we end up on players that are low owned kind of naturally sometimes just because we have a projection method that's maybe different to the casual player who's doing the projections in their head mm. it's a very long answer <laughs> so it made me think about something with NFL DFS so um, one thing I talked about last year 
a lot and we'll probably do a lot more talking about it on this year's pod as well rather than picking players and stuff was strategy and roster construction and with um and this will be true with soccer as well because obviously you're picking positions in golf you're not picking positions so mm. it doesn't really but, but there is so much more correlation in in nfl dfs than people realize for example mm. um so same way as in like your soccer, you know, assists and goals and stuff like, you know, Kane and Son and stuff. But with NFL DFS, you'll end up, you can have five or six players correlated um, across the two teams playing each other. Yeah. You know, sort of thing. And, um, and it's something that we're really going to talk about a lot more each week on the, um, when the season starts on this podcast, me and Nick, um, because it's something that doesn't really get enough coverage, I don't think. I think people get told, pick a player, pick a player, pick a player, you know. Mm. Not really the idea that, again, if this game goes off and not that many people are on it, you're going to have a massive advantage over the field. Mm. And I think it's those sorts of trying to find those sorts of edges, which I think casual players kind of levels a player field, playing field for them a little bit. If they're obviously they're good with their bankroll management, we'll come on to that. Um, I think that's kind of the only, not only hope, but it gives you a bit of hope against somebody who's got a, you know, an R-based projection system and stuff and things like that. Definitely. Yeah, I think correlations are really important in GPPs, if you can find it. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of your audience already know that. And it is, it is a harder thing to optimize in R, right? So, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's that's a tool that the casual player should use. Yeah. And we're, we're going to identify stuff in games and stuff. You can do that. In NFL DFS, people are great at stacking one side of a game for example, mm. but they won't stack the other side of the game as in the losing team or the team that isn't, you know, one team goes ahead by three touchdowns, the other team has to start throwing the ball and people forget that, you know, they just mm. see the fact that one team's going to dominate another team and stuff. So, you know, so that's, that's sort of, that's something which I think casual players can, um, um, can sort of use. Um, talking, you made me think about something which I wasn't going to ask, but I am now. Um, you do you play cash and GPPs? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Especially in well, actually in both football and golf. Mm. What yeah. sort of percentage do you think you play? It's probably about half and half. I mean, okay. in in football, we'll just play everything, right? Except for some of the high stakes three mans and head to heads. Mm. Mm, it's probably getting more and more GPP now as the GPP sizes seem to be growing and the cash community mm. and on DraftKings seems to be dying. So, but yeah, on on football, we'll play anything that's in the lobby. And golf, it's probably about 50-50 there. Okay. Um, do you think people need a minimum bankroll before they start playing cash games? As in the person starting with like 20 or $50 or whatever at the beginning and stuff shouldn't really be playing cash games? Or I don't think they should be playing GPPs if they're bankrolls. I mean, I, I would start... Well, it depends how you think you're going to get your edge in DFS firstly, right? Because if you're going to go five game theory, then you shouldn't be playing cash games at all. But, I mean, cash games is a lower variance, right? So you should need, mathematically speaking, you should need a lower, a smaller bankroll in order to be able to put up with the swings of playing cash games than GPPs. But maybe you think it's harder to get an edge in cash games, right? The standard of competition GPPs is lower. Maybe, therefore, you shouldn't be playing cash games at all. Maybe you don't think you have an edge in cash games at all. And even though you're going on projections with a bit of game theory, you're basically stuck with GPPs. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know what the contest sizes are because obviously we can't play anything that's no. below three dollars now. Something like that. Yeah. 
So I don't really know what's going on down there, but those are certainly contests you would have to play if your bankroll is under a hundred dollars. I don't think $50 is too small of a bankroll to start off with, but you're going to be playing $1, 25 cent entry fees. Mm. And you might have to top it up as well. I mean, you certainly can't bet all $50 on one slate, right? Even if you have got 50 different lineups or whatever, you definitely can't do that. You can probably with a $50 bankroll only play like $3 per slate, something like that. Yeah. Um, But it's definitely possible. It's just not, maybe not what someone wants to do with their time or money. So, so the NFL, to give you an idea, those NFL GPPs at like the lowest level, like the dime time and the quarter jukebox, there's like 180,000 people in the dime time. Okay. So you've got to have a pretty um, contrarian, contrarian correlate, yeah. probably correlate, maybe, I don't know. That's, again, not everybody agrees about correlation in, in NFL, but um, yeah, pretty contrarian lineup to do well there. And you're going you're gonna to lose more than you're going to win. Definitely. That and stuff, so um, that gives you an idea. Those sorts of what they're they're doing there. Um, so um, talking about that, um, I've heard it said the top players and professional players they lose more often than they win. Is that true? Certainly in GPPs. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think especially in golf, it feels like right now we we lose about <laughs> you know ninety percent of the time in GPPs. Um, luckily, cash isn't as bad as that, but. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably an approach as a professional gambler you have to have in general, right? Variance is, variance to professional gambler is generally, the, should be the friend, really, of the professional gambler. Because if if it was the case that you had zero variance, you're just sort of guaranteeing income every every week or month, like, draw, you know, the casinos wouldn't put up with it, DraftKings probably wouldn't put up with it, and the competition, you know, it's such a desirable, it seems like such a great, opportunity at that point that you're going to have competition come in and your edge is going to dry up really quickly. So if you can put up with variance, you can manage your bankroll properly. It shouldn't really bother you that you're losing 90% of, of the weeks, right? And that the, the remaining 10% is where you make up for all the losses of the past. And then obviously, hopefully some more on top of that. Yeah. It's I think as a professional gambler, yeah, you have to kind of embrace variance. You have to manage it properly. But realize that in many ways, it's probably your friend. Like you wouldn't have a job if there was zero variance. Right? No, it's like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be too, well, not easy is not the phrase, phrase, but like. Yeah, it'd be too easy. There'd be too much competition suddenly. And, you know, every every time I go in and play blackjack and I come out and I've, you know, made exactly what I expect to make, like $100 or whatever, the casino is just going to know you're a card counter or whatever straight away, right? You're going to be barred. Mm-hmm. So variance can kind of disguise the fact that you're winning over the long term. And I think this is where the bankroll management comes in, especially for like you say with the casual player, because you've got to be able to stay solvent enough before you hit that 10% of winning, Definitely. which covers your losses and stuff. And obviously that's true of all levels, but um, you know, um, I think that's for the casual player that can sometimes be a little bit harder to understand. Yeah. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong. I've made some terrible bankroll management decisions and stuff in my time because I'm a, I'm a casual player and stuff, a small stakes player. And as soon as I have, I have any success, I start. I just my bankroll management goes out the window because I just get arrogant and cocky, yeah. and all these things go wrong. And um, the reason I knew that that figure of the GPPs and the dime time was because last year, week ten, after I changed my strategy on how I was doing my NFL lineups, I came sixth out of the hundred and seventy-eight thousand people or whatever. Nice, nice. It was like hundred dollars. Okay. Okay. 
And I'd lost that in three weeks. Because, <laughs> and the reason I was even in that dime time was because I'd had such a bad run beforehand. So literally, I'd played nothing less than a dollar all season. I have a really bad run, but just, just play as low as I can. And I think for Benton wants a better rate when I play at least. And if I if it'd been any other week, it would have been four or five figures. Yeah, I can and, see how that's very frustrating. Yeah, and it was it's just a classic example of bad, bad bankroll management. So literally, as soon as it happened, I was like, okay, you've got to read up about as much stuff as you can. So I know, you know, fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> things will be a bit more, a bit more um, steady during this NFL season. Um, but one of the things that actually came out of this, so we got to know each other through the DraftKings Fantasy Ashes, didn't we? Because you captained England. Yeah, good times. Successfully yeah. as well. Nice yeah, four one victory. Yeah. yeah. Not, not so good After in the World Cup. Down as well, right? Yeah. Not yeah. so good in the World Cup, but like yeah. <laughs> we can forget yeah. about that. We got robbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of controversy on that NFL slate. And um we um but one thing I knew is um obviously there's some ma- amazing players in that team and that Ashes team and stuff. And um it was I just got better from just being in a WhatsApp group listening to you guys talk and stuff, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I know that somebody called you and Big O like Messi and Ronaldo and stuff, and it was genuinely, it felt like that to some of, certainly somebody like me is a very a lower stake player and stuff. But what became obvious to me was getting better at DFS isn't necessarily about knowing the sport that you're playing, I don't think. No, not necessarily. Again, it just comes down to what your approach is, mm. right? And to me, with, with, with the data-driven approach, it shouldn't, really matter how much you know about the sport because you're trying to strip your opinion out of it completely and just rely on the data and the statistical techniques to use that data to convert it into projections but if you're doing everything in your head and not on the computer you obviously need to like being good at dfs at that point is about just really knowing the sport like the Kieran Trickier crosses the ball a lot example or something like that. Right, yeah. So you can either get the data to tell you that or you can just watch a lot of football and really enjoy the sport and then you'll see that he crosses it a lot. So a lot of the top DFS players, though, tend to be good at multiple sports. Okay. Yeah, and um, and I suspect that's because they take the data-driven approach and stuff. Or they have well, the three... I, I can think of three ways. You've got the data-driven approach. Like you could, you, you could for example, take on any sport, presumably... If you had the time. Within reason, yeah. yeah if I yeah. had the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and take it on. There's also... There's no guarantee I'd be profitable in those sports either. Right? <laughs> I could give it a go, but it might be fun. It's some of that modesty again, Will. <laughs> like, well, we can talk about golf later if you want. Yeah. A healthy dose of modesty there as well. Um, and um, Or you can... At some, at some point, you get to a certain level, I suspect, where your bankroll can make up for sort of deficiencies in your DFS play or something. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit to some degree. Yeah, so I think I've completely lost my thread now because you made me laugh about the golf. <laughs> like I, was, I was picking you up there and I lost my thread completely. Um, so we're going about the three approaches? Yeah, the really? three approaches to it. There was one was that, one was that. And then there's the people who use ultimate, sort of like like um, the ultimate sort of game theory side of it. And, mm-hmm. but, and that game theory stuff applies to all sports, doesn't it? All DFS sports, yeah. effectively. And correlation yeah. applies to to sports, All sports as well. Yeah, yeah. Different, but different, different requires levels. an understanding of the sport as well. I mean, yeah. you mentioned um, Jordan Cooper, I think, earlier mm. in this podcast. Yeah, and he 
I think he takes on a lot of sports, right? And I think he does it quite well. And from what I've seen on Twitter occasionally, he seems to do it profitably as well. And I think his approach is more game theory, right? He's looking, he's every week he's listening to all the podcasts and well, not all of them, but most of them and, and seeing who's being touted and then trying to think of the players that aren't being mentioned who are probably going to do quite well. And then maybe combining that with correlation ideas that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Right? And that, that is a way to go after the multi-sport approach, I guess. Like if you really do want to do all sports, then that might be one way to do it and to do it profitably. Um, the NFL season's short, isn't it? It's only four month season, so like for us mm. DFS players, so like we need other sports. Right, <laughs> yeah. come, come and play soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So um, yeah, the um, the Jordan Cooper thing is uh, is like so. Give an NFL example because we're an NFL pod primarily. Is if everybody's playing Dalvin Cook, running back for the Vikings, and you would if you play Cousins and Thielen and Jefferson, then if Cook's not scoring the points, chances are they are. So you've got sort of a double leverage, as it were, on there. Mm. So that sort of example and stuff. And again, we're each from week to week on this pod. Me and Nick are going to cover scenarios where we see that happening. I think. Sounds yeah. Good. Yeah. So um, we've talked about this brief a little bit way, but let's just look into a little more detail. So. The new NFL season, that will bring a lot of new customers to DraftKings, new clients or whatever they want to call them. And um, so somebody starting, have you got any particular words of advice you give to somebody who's starting out? Well, I th- you, you have to get really clear on what you're, you're looking to get out of DFS, right? Is, is this a form of entertainment or, you know, where you're trying to not lose too much money? Or is this something you're genuinely considering as a side income or, or is your primary source of income? And if it is, okay, if it's the latter, if it's a primary source of income, then I would just say you have to play the long game. You can't, you know, if, if you're thinking about being ready for NFL, I can't remember when you said it was starting, but even September. if it was a month, yeah. September, okay, so yeah. what are we, yeah, maybe, maybe you could hope to be, if you're going to play the long game and you're hoping to make this a primary source of income, maybe you could be ready by the start of the season, but realistically in my mind if you're going to approach this right you have to be prepared not to earn any money for a year right you have to have the bankroll in order to not have any income for a year because it's probably going to take that much work to become long-term profitable in any dfs sport getting hold of all the data learning to code if you don't already know how to code learning the statistical techniques to then analyze that data um and compile it all together into a, some way of building lineups as well. And it's possible. You're just not, you have to be realistic in how long it's going to take you to get to that point. We come back to the game theory thing again, right? Okay. If you don't want to go the data driven approach and you think you do the game theory approach, then yeah, you could be probably ready by September. If you're not looking to do this as a primary source of income, if you're looking to do this just for casual fun, then I think, you know, just don't spend don't ruin your marriage doing all the research <laughs> for like three days beforehand, right? You know, maybe do a little bit of research, pick your favorite players. And my my, my to... wife will be so happy you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then try to just enjoy it. Right. And, and don't, don't bet so much that if you lose, it ruins your weekend. <laughs> and yeah. And, and avoid silly mistakes, right? Avoid, mm. You know, in, in soccer, the example would be like picking non-starters 
or picking guys that normally play fullback who happen to be playing centre back that day and they're you know, because then you're not really getting much entertainment. You don't even have much chance of winning. So do do enough research, maybe put in the hour or two to make sure you're not making any silly mistakes. Pick some of the players that you like and just try to enjoy it. There's, and there's so many great places to get content from nowadays and stuff, mm. especially with NFL because it's like it's such it's probably the I'm guessing it's the biggest money making sport on DraftKings. I'd imagine. Yeah, I would expect I think, so. so. I would think so. So there's mm. and there's so much content you literally you would never run out of say podcasts to listen to and stuff. So I think um, people um, I think that's a great place to start. Um, as much as to you always pick up something different from every type of podcast, even if you don't end up necessarily playing that way and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned about mistakes and stuff. Um, any other mistakes than the obvious ones of picking players who aren't playing or in the wrong position mm-hmm. that you see people making? And I'm guessing the sort of levels you're playing at, you're playing people who probably are more experienced, though. Yeah. So. Really obvious mistakes beyond those ones in, in, in soccer? Not really. I think... I think I think the biggest spending too much money on strikers yeah. in cash, right? <laughs> picking picking players that are goal dependent who might have a really good projection, but their projection is based on them occasionally getting a hat trick, right? Which is no good for you in cash. You want players mm-hmm. that are like 70% of the time are going to get you a base level of points. Right. So if, if you commit all of your salary to players with volatile scoring patterns in cash, that's a pretty basic mistake in my opinion. But and that's those are the kind of players sports. you want in GPP. Yeah, and that's true. Again, that's true for all sports as well. I think that works for NFL as well. Definitely, yeah. um, players who are getting lots of um, targets and stuff are good for cash. Um, but yeah, sort of your sort of Crowders and Edelman style, well, not Edelman anymore because he retired. Um, those sorts of style of players, I wouldn't necessarily help you in a GPP with mm. um, with many people and stuff. Mm. Um, also, bankroll management. I think obviously I've given an example of my terrible bankroll management already and stuff here. Mm. I think um, bankroll management is really important. You've got to bear in mind you've got a, now a 17, well, 18 week season, regular season in NFL. So you've got to be prepared. You've got to use, you've got to play the stakes that allow you to stay solvent for 18 weeks, as it were, if you want to play the whole season. Mm. Because you can't really rely on winning, can you, if you're going to start doing your bankroll management? No, if you're taking this seriously and you're doing it for to generate income, then you yeah, you have to take bankroll management seriously for sure. Yeah. I think it's but I it's, think it's, it's hard, you know, bankroll management is not an exact science in, in DFS, right? Because you need to know your edge. No one knows their edge, right? You have an idea of what your edge is, but no one really knows. In order to properly calculate bankroll management, you need to know your edge. You need to know the variance of, of the competitions you're playing and you need to know the correlation between the, all the lineups you're entering, right? Like if one of your lineups wins, is it more likely the other one's going to win? Probably, right? So you probably have a core of players. So it's impossible to figure out exactly how much you should be betting or how big your bankroll should be in order to bet this much. But you should have a, an idea and you should probably cut it in half once you have an idea as well because it's probably less than you think. Especially in golf, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, all something. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, we could talk more about golf if you want, but you know, when when we started out, we had so we we felt like we were doing pretty well at, at DFS soccer, and we we're looking for another sport to take on, and we thought that we could use the betting markets in golf to come up with solid projections for golfers 
And we thought the tech, some of the optimizer stuff that we built for soccer that would build lineups for us and do some of the game theory stuff for us, we could tr transfer that over to golf as well. So we kind of thought we had the pieces in place already just to make a quick and easy um, profit on golf. But I think we moved over in like 2019, 2020, and they were they went really badly and we were betting stakes that we shouldn't have been betting given the confidence level that we had and the experience that we had in the sport. And I think even on DraftKings now, we haven't made all of that back. Um, Fangio, thankfully, has gone a bit better. But and just to give you an idea of kind of how hard I think DFS golf is to actually make long-term profit on, you know, over that time, we've done pretty well betting on things like Betfair with our golf model and betting on things, you know, in bookie accounts. We've done all right. We, you know, we haven't had any problems with that, but we have had problems with DFS, right? Because it is, it's a tough sport to beat. And with that 15% rake, and like I said, you pick six players, as long as you fulfill your salary, you're not going to be making any stupid mistakes. So overcoming that 15% rake and then beating the competition, it's, it's not necessarily that easy, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, DFS isn't it? It's a very simple game to play, but it's not very easy. Like, yeah. It definitely is. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So we've talked about projections and game theory. Um, so other ways people can sort of, well, not win, but give, them, give themselves a way to play and stuff, DFS. Um, you can, for example, you can go looking for overlay in sports, can't you? That's, mm -hmm. that's one way if where you ultimately... Can find it, yeah. yeah. And that's getting harder on, definitely becoming harder on DraftKings, but you can still find it in lower stakes, definitely, where things are like only 40% filled and some of the niche sports. That's great. Yeah, definitely go after that. I mean, if you can find those, it's going to make your yeah. life a lot easier. And you, you obviously started on a niche sport in terms of DraftKings mm. with the soccer and stuff. Um, would you recommend people going that way when they're beginning? At the Find start? a niche sport? Yes. Yes, I would. I, I, the competitions are like, likely to be a lot lower, right? I, I would try to find some way of cutting your teeth in a niche sport or in a niche site where you're learning all the skills of how to get good at DFS whilst not paying a high penalty for being bad in the early stages. And if the competition's lower, the penalty you'll pay for being bad is obviously going to be much lower as well. The education will be cheaper, if you like. And yeah, I would try to find a niche sport where, and, and, and approach it, you know, if, if you're going to take on that niche sport, it's, let's say it's, I don't know, what's a niche sport on DraftKings these days? Val European Valorant. basketball or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, uh, Valorant, they just introduced or something. Yeah, have yeah. the mindset that you're, you're learning the skills necessary for you to then go and take on the sport you really want to play, right? So in that case, if it was me, my approach would not be read as many tout sites as you can. Maybe you don't want me to say this on this podcast, but you know, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be go and read as much content as you can. It would be get really good at Excel, learn all the skills to get really good at Excel or R if you want to learn to code, learn some things about statistics, so that when you move to the sport that you actually want to play, you'll have all these transferable skills that will carry over quite easily, right? Whereas if you've just been spending your time getting good at European basketball by reading tout sites, that's not going to transition easily over to the sport that you really want to play. 
And the other thing about content, I think, is, um, and don't worry, you can say about Taos stuff, we don't consider ourselves Taos, we don't consider sure, ourselves yeah. good enough to be Taos. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> me and Nick are just a couple of guys who just chat about these what who we're going to play and stuff um the um um you're reading the same content as everybody else so yeah, you're gonna exactly. yeah you're gonna end up picking the same players or the same lineups and the same thing and we've already discussed how one of the best you know strategies you can use is to not play what everybody else is playing assuming that they're still got a chance yeah. to score well and stuff so I think um yeah, I don't disagree with that necessarily. I mean, you know, a good way to find out who's not who's not going to be highly owned is to listen to content or read content. Mm. Like, like you said, Jordan Cooper does this thing where exactly. to find out yeah. who's getting... And like in golf, for example, there's an account called Green Screen Gang or something like that, I think it is. And he just lists... He just does a, a Google spreadsheet of who's getting... He, he just fills in a, a cell with a, with a colour each time a player's on one of the standard sort of tout podcasts or something like that. And so you can see then who's getting pushed and stuff and who isn't. And, mm. and, um, and they That's tend useful. to, yeah, they tend to, um, they tend to, um, and it's free. That information is free. And it tends to, it's obviously not going to be an exact science, but for a casual player, they can just look at this one spreadsheet on a Wednesday, say, and um, it gives them that information. Um, this year, me and Nick um, will be able to talk a bit more about ownership stuff for NFL Slates, obviously, we record generally on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, so the ownership for a buy for a Sunday won't be that exact, but we'll, we'll have some inkling and stuff, so we'll be talking more about that then. Do you... So one thing that I think I found really useful, and I'm just curious, and especially for beginners and stuff as well, is to look at what good players are doing in their mm. lineups. So, you know, if some, somebody could study what you were doing with your lineups in soccer and stuff, that would be, that's a great way to learn. Um, do you watch what other players are doing yourself to see if you I, I do sometimes I, I don't spend as much time on that as maybe I should but it's hard to learn you know I'm interested in people's processes right rather than necessarily who they've ended up picking so I have to try and reverse engineer from who they've picked to try and understand more about their processes um, and it is a really nice situation where you can look at who someone's picked and go I know why they've picked that person but it's they, in my opinion, they've got it wrong because of X, Y, and Z, right? Rather than looking at, you know, your opponent, and you go, I know, I don't know why he's picked that person, and that player's done really well, and I would never have even come close to picking him, and I know this guy's a sharp player, so maybe I can learn something in in that kind of situation. But generally speaking, I don't, I don't spend that much time doing that. There was a time when we were quite worried with the way that our football soccer model was performing. And we're worried that there might be a bug in it. But every now and then our lineup would match Redcoats, who's obviously a very good soccer player yeah. as well and someone we respect highly. And we would see actually we're still picking basically the same players as him. We have the same core, sometimes identical lineup. And so we're like, okay, well, we're not. There probably isn't a bug in our model then. If we're coming this close, we've just been getting unlucky recently. But it, it can be a, you know, especially when you're starting out, I think it can be a useful process. Yeah. Right, trying to understand, looking at players that you respect and going, okay, he's picked this guy. I have no idea why he's picked this guy. Let me see if I can figure it out. Um, and, I think that's a great process. Yeah. I think it's a great process at the beginning. You can, for the higher stakes games, you can get um, the information of Roto Grinders, Results DB, which is free. 
And then, for example, if somebody wants to learn about um, soccer DFS, then just go to there, go find the high stakes, look at what Will's doing and, um, and see if you can work it out. Like, for example, your Trippier thing, you know, from mm. five, six years ago and stuff. People were thinking, why is somebody picking Kieran Trippier? And then, you know, if they look at it and then they see, well, he scored this and he scored this. And why has he scored this? Because he's done 18 crosses or something like that. Then maybe that mm. teaches people you, something clicks in your head. Yeah, I've I've had people message me on Twitter just saying, "Oh, by the way, I've, I've been studying your lineups for X amount of time, whatever, and I've learned a lot." And I'm I mean I'm flattered, and it's really nice that they reach out to say that. I just don't know what they're learning. Like I, you know, like I, sometimes I'm like, okay, but what if, what have you actually learned here? If you learn, I hope you haven't learned just pick this guy yeah. every week or something. Right? I hope you've actually tried to learn the processes behind it. Um, it comes up. I think it comes down to that sort of lineups thing because. Again, especially with NFL, I feel this is true. You're more interested in the construction of the roster than the individual players, isn't it? And the, you know, so for example, golf is entirely mm -hmm. entirely yeah. the individual players you're interested in because they just there's no positions, That's there's true. no correlation. Yeah. If John Rahm does well, sort of point at the moment, then like you know that doesn't correlate to Morikara um, or something like that, you know. Um, whereas with NFL, I was like, well, if you know, if John Rahm yeah. gets COVID, maybe his tea time partner yeah, well, get yeah. COVID, right? So maybe maybe, maybe there you is need some to add that into your model now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tea time partner <laughs> correlation. Yeah. Um, if that makes you a whole load of money, then I've given you that idea. I want my ten percent for that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, so I think I think you can look at stuff like that. I think if you're looking at other big player, um, top players, and stuff, is maybe their construction and stuff. You definitely see that in things like baseball and stuff. That's true. Yeah, I think you're right. I th yeah, I think you're right. I think construction and looking at, for instance, looking at a player who you respect, how does his cash lineup differ from his GPP yeah. lineup? Oh, that's right? a great point. That's a great that point. Well. I never even thought about yeah. that. That's a really great point. Um, and cash lineups are important for GPPs, I think, aren't they? Because cash lineups show you who are going to be the most popular players, as it were, in some respect. As in, you know, the steadiest players and a lot of GPP lineups, especially from, you know, the if you think, imagine it like a bell curve, the middle of the curve players are going to be mm. variations of cash lineups because mm. cash lineups are projected to do well. Cash players are sorry, players in cash lineups are projected to do well. Usually the highest, mm -hmm. that's what people play. And it doesn't take into account the volatility of their scoring and stuff. So, um, so I think that's, um, that's a really great one. That's fantastic. Um, talking of again, something this just made me think of. Do you, do you, you personally, do you ever get approached by sites to do content and stuff? Not really. I mean, a couple of people have reached out, um, but it, the talks. I never really explore it. I never. I just say, not basically, not really appreciate it. Obviously, that people think that my content would be worth having on their site, but. I don't, it, it's just not why I got into DFS originally, right? And it would become no longer would my time go into necessarily making the best projections. More of my time would go into marketing myself better, right? And those are skills that don't really interest me as much. And I don't think that's really where my strengths lie either. Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather just put more time into learning more about statistics and just getting better at coding and continue with that. Also, by the way, the best marketing in DFS content industry is undoubtedly winning. So I think you would have to worry too much right. about the marketing stuff. It's like, so yeah, definitely. Right. Um, but I, I always imagine top players are just getting 
bombarded all the time by people wanting them to do content and stuff. That was all. That's why I was interested. Yeah. No, I, to be honest, I'm not bombarded. I get like a, um, a message maybe every few months from someone. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that because I'm not, it's not something currently and I don't, you know, you never know, but I don't think it will change in the future either. Um, DFS myths, um, something I want to, everybody I want to talk through when I talk to them, it's about some DFS myths and like obviously busting, whether they're true or not and stuff. So I'll start with, I'll start, let's start sure. with a couple. I'll start with one serious one and then one quite ridiculous or funny one. Um, entering 150 right. lineups automatically makes you profitable. I don't really know where to start with that one. I think that's been debunked so many times. You see it every um, day. I, I, I've heard it being described as covering your bases, which I can understand more because and having 150 different lineups, I guess, might reduce your variance than entering the same lineup in 150 different GPPs. I don't know. So, like, yeah, it's not as, it's not as highly correlated, obviously if you have 150 different lineups and therefore you're kind of covering yourself a little bit more for me, every extra lineup that I enter, I have a lower expected edge on, yeah. right? If I enter one lineup, that's the one I think has the highest edge. I enter another one. It has a slightly lower edge, etc. all the way to 150. So I'm lowering my, my margins, at, you know, by entering 150 instead of one, it's making me less profitable, not more yeah. profitable. And this way. is the maths, I think side of it, which, um, which again, people, people when they start need to understand is more lineups does not equal more profit. You're going to, I think, I think generally you're going to be, I mean, there's plenty of players who literally only play one lineup of slates who play, who are very successful, make a lot of money doing so. And I think especially when you're starting mm. and stuff and you're in a learning process, making as, as few lineups you really, you really trust and like, I think is probably a better way to go. And entering single entry mm. and triple entry. I agree. I think for beginners. Exactly. Um, I agree. Yeah. Another, another myth which I really love, I really love, and as you're a top player, you'll know this. Um, there's a secret club for all you top players to get the best plays. <laughs> so the rest of us, yeah. There is, is there? Yeah. I didn't know about this. Well, oh, right. I yeah, feel well, left out. Quite, quite ironically, that is what you would say if there was a secret club. So I think yeah, you've proven I know, that so, there is. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So there's nothing I can say. <laughs> nothing you can say that could debunk, debunk that myth at yeah. all. I'm trapped. People do believe this on Twitter that there's a secret club that all the best players are the best players. Okay. The fact is that you come to, people come to similar best plays because that's how their projections work and stuff. It just it just makes me laugh and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no <laughs> you don't want to get chucked out, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I could, yeah, I can see, I can see also and like um, and Jordan Cooper just like that's it, he's banned. Will's out. <laughs> and, yeah. And one last, one last question because I've kept you for too long now. Um, are you playing the Euros? Yeah, definitely. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who are you representing? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the um, the tournament DraftKings and yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's my job, <laughs> right? And the the GPP is. 300,000 for the classic or something, right? Yeah, yeah, First it's a lot of money. Slate, which is going to, I think that's the biggest mm. soccer GPP we've ever Have you, had. Um, so, do you know, do you know Fan Team? Yeah, yeah, I know Fan Team. Okay, well, they've got like they've a, got million a million pound, pound GPP, GPP right? Going for the Euros and stuff. Yeah. Which I would have thought their scoring yeah. is is basically goals, assists, clean sheets, but for that, they're adding in shots and target. 
They're adding yeah, shots on so yours, so okay. your model might be okay. more... Um, well, there you go. So there's an example of a scoring system, which is not... It, it's not as useful for me because it doesn't have such a... They don't have metrics where it's easier to demonstrate skill. It has more volatile metrics like assists yeah. and goals, right? So that's one of the reasons that I've avoided fan team so far. Okay. Um, another one is just the, the interface is not very good. Like they don't have the CSV, the, the edit entry CSV, no. which they have on DraftKings yeah. that meant, makes entering lots of lineups a lot quicker. So, yeah. you know, time is already stretched pretty thin in the last hour before kickoff. So adding another site where you have to do things manually. They do have an upload CSV thing at the moment, but still not very good. Um, but hopefully, maybe I'll be playing yeah. this soon. No, uh, well, no, hopefully not because I do quite well on fan team. So please don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, you yeah. do quite well. Okay, so that must mean it's yeah. easy. All right, I'm there. I'm... Well, like you said the scoring. Although uh, the the secret club, yeah. they don't give out picks yeah. for fan team at the moment, so I'm I'm no good. There. The um, yeah, like you said, the scoring's easy. So and um and it's all based on things that anybody can know. So I've got a chance and stuff. So um, it's like <laughs> there you go. Uh, well that's great well um, thank you so much for your time there Will that's been absolutely amazing my pleasure um, there's been lots of stuff we've covered lots of areas um, and good luck and hopefully the golf turns around for you I've just literally looked at my golf for this week and as I said to you before we started recording I was doubling my money and now I'm about break even so literally in the time we've been okay. speaking I've literally I've lost my stakes you know, my profit well I think mine would have <laughs> Yeah, I can't halve zero. Um, so mine will be about where it was when we started this call, I think. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And um, Rush Nation, um, we'll be doing another one of these with somebody else from inside the DFS industry um, next week. And we'll be doing lots of them up until um, the NFL season starts. So look out for that. So um, once again, thank you to Will and see you all next week. to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.